Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Airbnb Nomads podcast. And on this week's Property Education Masterclass, we are joined by Daniela Yanelli. Now, Daniela is a hospitality expert. We're gonna be discussing all of the ins and outs around the hospitality part of this serviced accommodation business, which is so important. There is so many tips and tricks in this episode that you wanna stick around for. Here we go, this is gonna be fun. Daniela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Awesome, thank you for joining me. I'm excited to have you on for a few different reasons. One, I think that you are a really good advert for people who need to exude more confidence to like grow and build into their industry, their business, whatever that is. I'm seeing you around everywhere on your socials. And that for me is one of your biggest strengths. You seem, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper, maybe it's not quite like that, but from what I can see, you seem like an incredibly confident person, a go-getter, very entrepreneurish, entrepreneurish, is that a word? But someone, entrepreneurial, (laughs) there we go. We got there in the end. But someone who's gonna get to their goals, that's how you come across. I also like the, the, I think we've got some similar interests in travel and Europe and being in the sun and kind of trying to chase that idyllic lifestyle. I think we both share that passion. I thought you were one of me. I thought you were one of us first. That's yeah, what it yeah, was. You That's I was what Sp- it was. <laughs> Daniela thought I was Spanish. Unfortunately, I'm completely <laughs> English, but I do like to spend a lot of time overseas in the sun and that's hence why maybe I'm a little bit browner than, than some other people. But Also, obviously, we've got the similar um, bits and pieces around serviced accommodation. That's your background. And also, I like the way that you, again, seemingly, and we're going to get into it, but it seems like you've managed to kind of branch out a little bit from just the immediate act of service accommodation and you found your place in one of the many areas that surround the business, which is something that we've talked about a lot on our socials as well. One of the best things about this business is not only that the business is great, you can make good cash flow, it allows you to have a bit more of a re- remote lifestyle, but also there's so many branch offs around the outside, around the periphery of serviced accommodation. So there's loads to unpack in this podcast. I'm really interested to hear all of your background that's led you to where you are today. So why don't we start with that? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? We know that you're heavily involved in hospitality today. So I'm interested to know if that's where you began or if it's something that kind of evolved slowly over time. So yeah, why don't you tell us a bit about you? Yes, I've actually always been in hospitality. So I've worked in a lot of different areas of hospitality. So I started when I was 16. So I left school with basic GCSEs. Um, Familiar story. (laughs) I went to, I always, thought in school, like I wasn't academic at all. Like I can barely spell, you can always tell when I've written like a Facebook post. Um, I can barely spell. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm probably dyslexic if you look into it. Some of the best entrepreneurs are, right? I like to think so. <laughs> um, but I was like, do you know what? I'll know I'll be good at business. Like I used to sell my sandwiches at school. I used to do a lot of competitions at school. So I used, okay. to, do, I used to really want to be a chef as a child and I used to do a lot of cookery competitions and I got pretty far into it. So I was like, do you know what, when I leave school, I want to be a chef. Um, I didn't end up being a chef, but more because I loved it as a hobby. And I just, it was one of those things I knew if I took it as a career, my passion would be gone in it. And I always wanted to kind of keep that as my yep. passion. Um, but I left school, went to college. Cause I was like, do you know what, I'll be really great in business, did business studies and quit a month after I started. Wow. And I honestly was so, down about it I was like I can't believe it like I always thought I'd excel as soon as I left school Mm -hmm. and I'm like 
I've got a job in a cafe on minimum wage. I'm doing nothing. Like you get into that, you get into that mindset. I think you can get into that mindset any time of your life. And then I got an apprenticeship in a hotel as a waitress. And I was, it was a huge global brand. So I was so excited. I was in one of their best London hotels. I was so proud to tell people I worked in London because I wanted to, I only wanted to be in London. I didn't want to be in my hometown. Was Sorry, was you still at uni at this point? Or did you? I was 16. So I, oh, I right, literally right. left college a month. Oh, college, in. right, right. Got you, yeah. Left college, worked mm. in a cafe, yep. and secured this apprenticeship. So I was so happy, so proud. Wow. I remember my first day of work. I remember my first day of work like it was yesterday. I ripped my skirt on the way in. Yep. Classic me. And I was sewing it up in the toilets before I started. Yep. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, always me. Like my whole bum was out on my first shift of work. Oh <laughs> always me. <laughs> extra and tips on that extra day. Extra tips. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I worked, over the 10 years, I worked my way up. I'd worked in pretty much every area of the hotel. If not, if I didn't work in it, I would make sure I did cross experience in it because I wanted to know what it was like to be um, in housekeeping, reception, all these different okay. areas, which really made me a well-rounded person within the industry. Um, obviously working for a huge hotel group, there were so many employees, so you're always very specialized. Um, and then from there, I got into service accommodation, which led on so nicely. But until I did SA, that's when I became an expert in my field. I always thought I was like competitively the best mm. in what I did. But until you're in a situation where you <clears throat> are literally a team, it was just me and my dad at the time. We had, I think, maybe one VA or at the time, maybe even no VAs. So, so let's just roll it back a little bit. So you you left school, didn't, you didn't excel that well in school. You didn't, you didn't go down the typical leave school, you know, know what you wanted to do at the time, right? You had, you, you kind of knew that you had a bit of a passion for food, right? But I think that's, going back to that point, you was concerned that if you took that passion and you turned it into a career, you might lose that passion. And I think that's very true. I think a lot of people yeah. do that. So that might have been a, a smart swerve. And is that, does that come from your, because you've got an Italian background, right? Your family's Italian. You spend a lot of time over there. Yeah. So do you think that that's, is there, is that where the food connection comes from? Because I know like Definitely. Italians are big foodies, right? Yeah, we're really good at cooking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up, always watching my grandparents cook, like my grandmother's cook. Like authentic, like the big yeah, fresh pastas. We and... were there. My parents had us very young. So my mum was married at 21. She had me at about 25. So my parents had to go straight back into work, my mum and my dad. So we okay. would spend all half terms with my grandparents, every after school with my grandparents. Nice. So we literally, I watched her cook all the time. It was more me than my sister. She didn't really have much interest in it. But I, my family are really old school, so like what, what they nice say. a nice way to grow up, like spending the weekends with your, with your grandparents as well. Whole half terms, we'd stay over like sleepovers, like nice. we loved it. And obviously because we're grandkids, they let us have whatever. Mm, like, yeah, all the sweets, extra yeah, pocket money. Yeah, oh my God. And we were the only grandkids as well, yeah, so yeah, me and my yeah, sister. Yeah. So we were like so lucky. Um, I always watched her cook. They were so old school Italian. Like she she would say to me, Daniela, you need to learn how to cook and clean for when you get married. I mean, it didn't really age well, <laughs> that statement. But, uh, but I, I, I wonder if it was like, I, um, one of my previous uh, partners, going back a little bit now, um, she, she had some Italian um, um, ancestry and she was really adamant that if we was ever to eat pasta, had to be freshly made. And she had the, like the proper wow. old school pasta machine, like bolted oh to the side, God. and she How like old it was through. she? Like sixties? No, no, no. She was like mid to late twenties. Really? Um, oh my God! So I didn't know if that was like 
I think that isn't that quite familiar. Isn't that quite common though with Italians? They're I like don't fresh make, pasta only. Oh, do you know what? I don't make stuff. my own pasta. I don't. It's it's. Uh, I just can't do it. It's Fake too Italian. much. That's what it is. I'm a British Italian. That's what it is. I'm born in the UK. Yeah, let me yeah. up. But yeah, I love making my own bread. All of that sort of stuff. But oh, I do think it's it's something. People obviously love it, whatever country you're yeah. from, to cook. But I do think it's kind of installed from a young age, culturally. Um, I know probably you shouldn't say it, but more with women in our culture, um, just because it is how it is, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. It's not. Um, I could. I could. I. I honestly believe. I know people say this. I could live on bread and pasta. Oh my god! Just give me fresh bread. Fresh pasta, job done. My and a bread. Load, load of cheese on top. Yeah, but not with fish. Remember, not with fish. Not no with fish, fish pasta. No, no fish pasta. That's that's true. It's like it pineapple is. on pizza, right? Oh my god. No fish with the pasta. devil. I get that. I get that. Right. So then you you fell into the um, into the into the hospitality industry. What was it that made you? You you, you said that you really started to dive deep into all of the individual parts of that business. I wouldn't say that that's really normal. I would say that most people, they get a job and that's all that they care about. It's just paying the bills, right? It's just what they need to do day to day. So was that driven because you could see the benefits of learning every part of the business and how that could carry you through life and give you options? Or was it because you just generally loved that and you was interested and you, it was just how it kind of unfolded? Was there kind of any... Yeah, I mean, I'm massively competitive in yeah. what I do and I wanted to be the best. So I wanted to know how my job affected someone else's job. I just always wanted or to be the best. How it's all connected. I wanted to see how it's connected. I didn't like how people in any industry kind of looked down on others. Like, obviously, I've seen people like talk down to like pot wash or housekeepers mm. and I've always hated that because I started at the bottom as well. Right. Um, and I always said like the main, in a hotel or in a service accommodation, the main the main two roles are housekeeping and pot wash because mm. you can survive without a general manager, but you can't, you cannot That's operate without housekeepers or people washing the dishes. So um, I've always had massive respect for them and I wanted to see how hard their roles are and oh my god i did housekeeping i think i lost like a kilo in a yep. day like it is hard work um yeah i wanted to do all the jobs and also because i started so young as a waitress i wanted to discover like see other avenues within the i was quite lucky that hotel has like everything in it like mm. if you want to get into finance you can easily get into finance sales which i got into eventually so I wanted to kind of see what my calling was in the hotel because I wanted to be a general manager right at the beginning I could see I could see you you would make quite a good general manager Do you think? I could see that I don't know you, you 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 to me you come across as someone who's like if you was in charge I think there'd definitely be a bit of a, a, bit of a whip cracking you know where you are it's like do this yeah okay boss I'm on. <laughs> And I also, I could probably a swerve leader. a difficult question quite easily. Yeah. <laughs> like, they forget what they asked yeah, me by yeah. the end of the conversation. I always wanted, that's what I wanted to do originally. Um, yeah. And that's why I had such a keen interest of learning other departments as well. Because mm. you need you need to know all the departments, right? To 100%. be a good general manager. A hundred percent. And just have respect for them because... and. Because if, as a general manager, you're dealing with of the heads of the departments, and you need to know mm. how these departments are run because yeah. you need to make sure that your man managers are yeah. running it correctly. And I mean, not my, in a micromanagement way, but obviously, you need to have strong managers, and to have strong managers, you need to understand yeah. what their skill set is. How, how can you? This is like a bit of a bugbear of mine. How can you demand respect 
from, as a manager, right? How can you demand respect from all of the people around you and telling them they've got to do this, improve that, change this, change that, unless you've got an in-depth knowledge of that area, how can you expect that person who might be at the top of their game in that specific sector to look at you and truly honor and respect what you're saying when you don't have an in-depth knowledge of what they're doing? It's difficult, right? That's why you've got to know all of those areas if you're going to be yeah. a good leader, really. 100%. And I think the thing is, I think if you're dem ever demanding respect, there's something wrong. I think it comes with... Um, I think respect goes example. to... where uh, Leading by example, I think respect is a two-way thing. Mm. I think some people who are managers um, go in demanding respect, mm. and but they don't give it. And I've seen that a lot of times as well. And that's the biggest thing for me. I am probably the most... I don't mean learn my own trumpet, but I think I'm a really respectful person, a kind person, but if it's not reciprocated, mm. like I'm not going to then keep going with it because mm. it should be two ways. I know what I'm doing, I'm good at what I'm doing. I think every person as well has that one thing against them. So when I was 16, um, I had an amazing manager who hired me and he, I was 16 at the time, I was young, I had zero experience. No one respected me. Everyone would just be like, you're young enough to be my daughter. Mm -hmm. And everyone said that. I was a young girl and he was like, you need to implement a new standard. Like literally this standard you need to implement. And I had to, he was like, you're doing it. And I was like shitting myself because I was so shy as well back then. That's young to be given that kind of responsibility. Yeah, and I literally had to get to the point where I had to put my foot down. I was like, if, if you don't follow it, I'm not doing it. Mm. And I had to get to that point with, with my colleagues, like a whole big team, probably about 20, 30 people mm. to follow this procedure that I implemented. Wow. Um, but you know what? He was the best manager, one of well, one of the best managers I've ever had, and he could see my potential before I knew what that was, um, and to have to implement that. But I mean, any things are always against you. Um, you could say you're too young for something. You're a woman. You're this. You're different color. Whatever. There's always going to be it's something. Always an excuse, isn't it? There's always something that is excel. going to be a f that's going to yeah like push keep you held back, and you just have to not care and just mm. be like, do you know what it is? What it is? I've had even in SA people not respect me because I'm a young woman and I just think, do you know what, that's your loss. Mm. Um, because if you want to work with me, I can make you the best um, and the specialist in customer service and hospitality mm. standards. But if you don't, that's on you because I, I know, I'm not stupid, I know you're not going to be with me for the next 10 years, mm. but I can make you the best. So when you go somewhere next, mm. you can have an incredible opportunity and career. Mm. You can show them what they need to know right now. Interesting. So a, a couple of things that, that kind of come to mind on, on what we was just chatting about there. You said about when you start at the bottom and work your way up, it naturally gives you that respect for everybody's position. And I can relate to that because when I was, when I left school, I did the, you know, like the glass collecting thing, the pot washing thing, similar to what you said. And at the time it was tough. Like, you know, especially when you're surrounded by people that you was at school with, in the clubs and stuff like that. And I remember one memory that sticks out. I was in the club, I was like the, 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 the place to go, the place to be seen. And I was there collecting glasses and doing the dishes and stuff like that. And I used to have to collect the rubbish as well. And I remember one memory I was pushing the like you remember the like little wheelie bins that have like all the rubbish it's packing? been so long since i'm in the club alley yeah, yeah well, well, <laughs> me too now but it's something that's just ingrained in my mind but i remember pushing it through the dance floor and i was seeing all like the girls from my school that was like the a team you know like the elite girls everyone wanted to be so excuse me excuse me and i'm pu pu pushing the bins through but what that did was 
coming from that place of, you know, not hardship, but doing the stuff that maybe some other people didn't want to do. Coming up, it does make you appreciate and it gives you an, a, a, a just a, um, you know, a high level of respect for all the people around you. And you get the understanding that it doesn't matter who you are, how powerful you are, how big you are, important you are, how much money you've got. If you haven't got that team around you doing all of the little bits and pieces, the whole thing collapses. You know, so that that really stands out. Um, and the other thing that kind of comes to mind is you was talking about your previous manager who was such a good role model. And that is so powerful as well. Like I've had, there's one particular person that comes to mind who I worked with for eight years. And he was such, because I used to work on super yachts. That was like my background. So I traveled the world, had like this amazing idyllic life. And, and, and but the, cap, the captain that I worked with for the bulk of that time, what he did, which really stood out, and I'll never forget it, and I took so much from it, and I try and implement it into my life today. He had this knack, and I think that this is um, such a, a quality of every top leader. He was your best friend, right? Laughed, laughed together, joked together, socialized together. But if you crossed that line and you weren't performing, he would immediately sit you down and find a way of having a conversation where you knew that you stepped out of line and you needed to raise your game back up because you got a little bit too relaxed. So he found a way of walking that line really, really well between friendship and being your boss. And I think that that's a really rare quality and one of every great leader. You don't demand respect by shouting your way to it. You demand respect by leading, by example. And that's what he did. He never let the side down when, when his boss wasn't around. He was 110% whether his boss was there or not, which I think is very rare. And also he knew how to maintain that, that level of standard. And he pulled everyone up to it and he held you accountable. Yeah. So, so really, that's a really, really cool. rare like, quality, but they're the people I've always worked well with where you can connect on a personal level, but you don't want to let them down. You have that feeling like, I don't want to let that person mm. down. Like you can laugh with them, joke with them, but then don't there's that. The line. Yeah, and you, you feel that yourself. It's just not, it, you don't even want to take the mick out of them. Like yeah. you don't want to. Because you respect them because of the way that they're leading, right? And yeah. the levels that they're holding. So, okay, so you're now in the hospitality world. So <clears throat> what happens next? You was at this hotel for quite a long time. 10 years. Same, ho same hotel chain, but loads of different jobs. So I ended as a sales sales position. So I was sales manager, and then I went part-time to sales executive position. So, I mean, I would guess most people are probably listening to this now or watching it and thinking, well, you put that much time into a big hotel chain and there's so many opportunities to rise up within that chain and probably end up in a pretty big corporate job. So what, what changed that, that saw you kind of move on and decide to carve your own career and become this entrepreneur yeah i think covid definitely it was covid i was put on furlough for about a year and a half so a long time um i've always had an entrepreneurial streak to me um my dad who's literally my role model he's always had his own businesses and i've always kind of looked up to him um my mum and dad have a really lovely dynamics so my mum's very like she's the mm. backbone of the I've home the pictures they look like the perfect <laughs> They're mad. They're absolutely mad where I get it from. But my mum is the home of the um, backbone of the home. And my dad is like 
the one who financially looks after us all. So we've got such a lovely dynamic, mm. uh, in my opinion. Um, and he's always been like my work role model. And he wanted to get in service accommodation. And I was the one that was more on the fence about it. This was pre-COVID um, because I was planning to carry on going with my career, um, with my path. I had an incredible manager at the time as well. Um, and he was helping me kind of craft, uh, craft my future out in the, in the um, business. Um, and then COVID hit and which re-evaluated a lot of people's lives. My mum got very sick. Um, COVID through, through, came. Through COVID? Or? No, sorry. So she was sick um, a year before COVID. So she okay. got cancer. She's she's fine now, which is amazing. Okay. But I think when these big things happen in your life. Big life events, yeah. Huge Changes life things. events. I was really lucky that the hotel massively supported me through my mum's sickness, which I'll always be grateful for. Um, having that a year before covid and then covid hitting obviously I had time on my hands and i was completely like reevaluating my life mm -hmm. what i want to do um the kind of future lifestyle i want um i had a partner at the time so i was kind of when you have a partner you naturally think about like mm. one day settling down children all these sort of things going through your head um and that's when me and my dad set up the business during covid a national lockdown we set up our service accommodation business <laughs> Three of them at once as well. So, uh, so, so your so your your father started pre-COVID though, right? No, Just... so we started together. He was he was trying to get me on board pre-COVID. Okay. Oh, um, but I I was interested, but like I was. It's a natural progression, right? Because yeah. you've got hospitality locked in, so you've already got a huge fundamental like base of, of of the business. What what was it that that drew your father? Was he did he have any hospitality experience? Is that he's property? property? So he's well, it was twenty five years, probably like mm. nearly thirty years of property experience right. now. So my dad's always had his own businesses. He's always been a successful businessman. Um, he wanted to do something a bit different. Um, he wanted to work with me because he is incredible at growing businesses, um, strategy, all of that that side of the business. Um, and I'm obviously really good at the hospitality side. Mm. So he wanted to work with me. Um, pre-COVID, but I was interested, but life takes over. I mean, I had a demanding full-time job. It's just one of these things you put to the back of your mind. Sure. I had far more important things to be thinking about. And then once you hit COVID, I mean, you've literally, I was in the same four walls mm. every day, all day to think about things yeah. and, and like wonder what I want from my future. Yeah. And I think what COVID did as well for a lot of people, and I think that's why there has been an explosion of whether or not you'd call them entrepreneurs or not. I don't know if I, I'm still trying to work out if you're born that way or if it's something you can learn. But I do think that there's been this huge explosion of people that have, you know, post COVID realized how delicate, you know, the, 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 the fact that their whole life, their financial uh, life, their security, their family security is all in the hands of an employer. And at, at, at a whim, right, that can change. I think a lot of people were like, right, I need to take control. I need to find a way of being in charge, determining my own future, my level of income, my level of security. So it doesn't surprise me that you were sitting around thinking, well, you know, what other opportunities are there? And it sounds really nice, that, that idea, maybe it's not as romantic as it sounds, you can tell us about that, but the <laughs> idea of being like working with your, your, your family, you know, I do stuff, some stuff with my family, which has its pros and cons, as I'm sure you'll, you'll allude to. But so how does, so was that, was, was there, was you sitting there thinking, well, I like the idea of it, 
but do I really want to get into business with dad? Was that was there an element of that or? <laughs> well, you, you know my dad, so we're I very, we're quite, I think we're quite similar in personality, yeah. me and my dad, so. And we, you look like the spit image <laughs> of your dad. You so, so we similar. are similar in many ways, um, which has its pros and cons yeah. as well. So yeah. when we started work, working together, it was fine. But very quickly, kind of those initial issues were arising. So he was very much, it was very much a sort of daughter and father and daughter relationship. He'd have the final say um, on everything. And mm. I had to kind of say to him, we, we're business partners, we're 50-50 yeah. business partners. I understand, we can listen to each other, but you can't have your, your yeah, say you, as the final you're, say you're all not time. That, you're not just dad in every situation who's making it, yeah. Exactly, it's, and it, it's very difficult, and you kind of have to adapt, and it's a slow, I mean, I don't know, I, I think I was 24 when we started working together, so for 24 years, it's very much the traditional, like, I have the final say, my house, my rules, that kind of sure. situation, to go from that to go, you know I mean, how... Yeah, making decisions together. Yeah, and you know how hard it can be with any business partner to mm. make decisions, so when it's your dad, who naturally has been... The, the man fight. of the house mm. for that time. It was very difficult adjustment. Um, we made the adjustment, um, but because we're so hot-headed, we're Italian hot-headed, the same personality. When things were great, it was great. But when we would mm. disagree, it was like World War Three. You'd think yeah. someone, honestly, like something bad had happened, but we'd just bickering about probably what biscuits to put in the properties. Yeah. Um, and we were at a, some sort of mentoring day. I don't know, we were having some training. And um, the lady who was doing it with us, she said, you two need to put in boundaries. She said, this is, she said, I love you. She was like, I love your relationship. We have a great relationship. She was like, you need boundaries because it's like almost like personal attacking each other and Ooh. like exploding over the craziest things. And once we actually sat with her and she made us wear these stickers that said B and I was like, this is ridiculous, but it actually worked having she, B, B is in like A B and B, for yours. boundaries. Oh, B for yeah, boundaries. Yeah, I would have been A, Alex. Of course, I would have been course, A. Of course. <laughs> um, B for we both had to wear stickers that said B for boundaries. Okay. And every time we'd get agitated, it sounds so silly. I'd be like, B for boundaries, Dad. And like we're so, we're so silly. We're just like, like holding the pillow as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it did actually work. Like as silly as it was, like, we had to put in those boundaries. I mean, the the only thing now is. We have probably less of a father-daughter relationship, um, more of that kind of playful friendship. Mm. Um, my siblings, I'm, I'm one of four. They all say like, "I'm dad's favorite." I've got, I'm like, I've got a special like the special bond with him. But we've worked together for sure. a long time. Like, it, it'll probably be a long time until it goes back to that. But I obviously know when he now, like, when he's serious, that's it. Like, yeah. it's back to the original. Don't mess, don't mess with dad. It's dad's the in, lie, yeah, like you said. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the ba is that boundary, yeah. So uh, I cool. know when I've pushed too far, but I can't yeah. help myself sometimes. <laughs> it sounds. I mean, it still sounds pretty good to be fair. I mean, you know, the idea of working with it actually makes me think. Like me and my dad, we always spoke about working together. You know, dad's always been in business, but just never. He was always going this way, and I was going that way. I was always, uh, you know, somewhere else in the world while he was growing the business, and it just never kind of panned out. But. It's always been a dream of mine, so I think you're quite lucky in that respect. And maybe it's something that now you're used to, but it might be, yeah, something that a lot of people would 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 love to have that opportunity. Um, okay, so you've kind of settled into that working relationship. So we're now around COVID time, the world shuts down, and is it coming out of that that you start taking on your first properties, or is it literally right in the pandemic you take yeah. on your first ones? First three at once. It was 
when just um, I think builders could travel, okay. you know, like construction like essential, workers, essential workers, essential workers, and construction workers. It was only them that could travel. So right. that's when we had our first three units. And over the three years, I think we got to about twenty units by the end of it. Um, so we built up quite quickly i mean i think the first year when maybe we took on like only two more but it's like one of those things like a snowball effect as yeah. you know um and i, and I, I think there, it was a bit of a double-edged sword wasn't it because i've heard from a lot of people who started around covid it was like the amount of people that were out there trying to source these properties went off a cliff because everyone was too scared to make a move but if you held your nerve and was like yeah i'm going to take advantage of this like you obviously did because you know, yes, the world shut down, but there were still people that needed places to stay. There was still work going on. There were still job sites that were in full swing. There was people that needed accommodation. And if you realise that, like you did, then the the um, there, there was properties that were available, right? Because people weren't renting, businesses weren't operational. Mm -hmm. So you obviously took advantage of that. So wh where where did these properties come from? The first three, how were they? How were they sourced? Were they through an agent, director, yeah, landlord? Yeah, we or? did the same thing as everyone else. Right. We sat there and made call after call after call to agents and to say like rejection, rejection. But they do say, was it every no? You're closer to your yes. Absolutely. And I think the first property we had. I remember we called loads of agents and I'd had enough for the day. It was a Saturday. I was like, I've had enough. And my dad was like, I'm saying one more call and then I'm, I'm done as well. I think it was like 5, 4 p.m. Mm. on a Saturday um, because we've got great lives. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the last call he made on a Saturday was the first property we got. Wow. So it really does work. The formulas do work that you're given in whatever It's a numbers training. game, right? Numbers game. And I mean, I'm not bothered about rejection, but... At the time, I probably was. I hated calling these agents. And my dad, obviously, he's ex-agent, so he was really good at it. Mm. Um, but even he was getting rejected by these agents. But he was just like, I'm going to make one more call. It's a numbers game, like you said. And the last call was our first property we took on. And then I think maybe a week or two later, we had two more properties that we were offered. But they're all ready at the same time. Isn't it interesting when you flip it on its head like that, you know, this whole thing around getting told no, it's a huge, huge psychological thing. If you can turn that on its head, and like you said, for every no, if you put it down to numbers, and it is, it literally is a numbers game, if you keep going, okay, another no, great. Let's celebrate that no, because I know I'm one more closer to a yes. And when you get that yes, you're like, okay, yeah, this this works, and it just keeps, then the, the snowball starts. So. These, so were they apartments, were they? And where, where were they, in the same area? One yeah. block or separate? Or? So we had three apartments in the same area. So like um, two were in the same block and the other one was like a block down. So it was the same, I don't know what it's called, uh, facilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but they were literally three in the same area um, in Buckinghamshire. So okay. it was, it logistically, logistically it worked quite well. Mm -hmm. um, but we had to be so clever because we were in a national lockdown and obviously bookings we just had to make the most of what we could get um but what people forget to do now what because we had to be really clever during the pandemic and people were being more creative now when people saying oh we haven't got bookings like, but have you called everyone that you stay that stays with yeah. you like do you call them do you ask why they're staying we got i think like a six month booking or a four month booking because i called the guy who stayed with us and he was like yeah i'm working on a construction site here i'll be here for the next four months mm. and obviously they um, a lot of construction workers just book week on week. But I was like, just book up front, I'll give you a discount. And they did that and mm. that secured like us coming out of the pandemic. Um, and I looked 
I had a lot of time on my hands, clearly, but I looked into um, people coming to the UK because I noticed we had a lot of Japanese travellers. Yep. I was like, why is there so many Japanese? Do we have so many Japanese? And I looked into it and they did something with the Japanese visas at the time. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were giving them out a bit easier or something along those lines, which meant that we were having a lot more Japanese guests who were staying for a long period of time. So obviously they were just coming over and sorting out their accommodation once they were here. Yep. So they needed short term accommodation. So I tapped into that market. So it's about being really creative and just kind of thinking, it's easy to think outside the box, but really you just have to be clever about it because yeah, be, the people are there. Be proactive, you know, and, and like you said, think outside the box, look at other industries and different avenues and different, different niches and markets, rather than just sitting back on the OTAs like so many people are doing today. Interesting. So you've got the three, you're now up and running. Um, so at this point, is this now, is this you? Are you sitting here thinking, I'm enjoying this, I can see a business in this, I love working with dad, this is my new life? Are you kind of at, at that stage then? Yeah, I really, that's when I probably started thinking about um, leaving my job. So after the pandemic, I went part time. And I went to two days a week. So I actually only left my job last year. Okay. Um, so kind of towards the end of my service accommodation journey, I left my actual job. Um, but yeah, I was really loving it. We we're growing the business. Of course, there's obstacles with any business that you start. Um, the challenges. Luckily, I was quite used to the hospitality hours and knowing that is it is a 24 hour business. I always say like until you lock that door is when you can relax from a business. Yeah. And because you can't lock, there's no closing time of essay. So swings and roundabouts but i think people who get into sa are sometimes maybe sold Absolutely. a bit differently um, that's something that we stress this is a full-blown hospitality business right so be aware of what it is don't get sold down the river with all these big you know false promises of this passive lifestyle it can be made passive with systems and automation and, and technology but there's always going to be an element of having to be involved because it's a you know it's all about the guest experience which obviously you are so well versed in. So with that being so important, let's talk a little bit about where you are now, because isn't your focus now shifting slightly from just the immediate act of being a host to slightly more on, on the outside of helping people to grow the hospitality angle specifically around the business? Is that kind of where you are now? Correct. Yes, we sold the service accommodation business back in June, July time. Um, so we sold that then and I wanted to do something that I was completely my niche mm. and what I um, specialize in. Back back to really where it all began. Exactly. And I've had the real rounded experience of having my own business. I think when you go when you work in such a big corporate company, you don't realise how much you rely on other people. Mm. And I remember during service accommodation, having issues thrown my way and not having anyone to ask. Mm. Obviously my dad would be somewhere doing something, because the two of you, you're always doing something. He'd be, I don't know, even in meetings or whatever. Mm. And I had to think on my feet, have a resolution and sort out the issue myself. All of these things that normally you just kind of make a phone call to someone else. Mm -hmm. So I really understood the full, I don't know what the word is, the full, operations and, and satis customer satisfaction, all those different things when it, when it solely relies on you. So now what I specialize in is customer service, um, guest experience, reviews, increasing revenue from strategies that we just spoke about, yep. um, being proactive. Um, and I consult restaurants, service accommodation and hotels on that side. Amazing. And uh, what's really cool about that is, you know, it's a bit of a bugbear of ours. We've spoken about it on some of our socials. 
there's so many training courses now pushing all of the you know all of the rainbows and the butterflies and the unicorns behind this business right find a property make it look nice put it on the platforms and the bookings will come and we're saying now yes that works but it's getting busy the space is getting busy and we are now so dependent on the experience right because reviews are so important so the hospitality angle isn't really discussed or taught enough in these courses and then also even more importantly than that is driving bookings the marketing side of it so the marketing side of it the business structure and then the hospitality experience if you can bring those three things together and bolt that on to what really is the basic part of the business finding a property making it look nice and getting it listed on airbnb right it's not that difficult that's the stuff that's missing so if you yeah. are bringing that specialty and bolting it on really then you're giving you're giving people the full picture yeah like when was the last time anyone took their guests out for a coffee or a mm. drink i used to meet up with my guests especially like the ones who were staying a long time um i knew they worked for like corporate businesses i used to meet up with them for coffees and just get to know them and have that real personal connection with them just these small different little things yeah. i know um people want to kind of grow it these huge at these huge scales so if you're not going to meet them up with them get someone else to get an employee to do it yeah. because these personal connections i'm not saying with every guest but the ones that you can kind of tap into mm. to have either a good business relationship so and the once we had like some insurance insurance he worked in insurance but he was the manager so i built a relationship with him these sort of relationships that will massively grow your business because huge hotel chains are doing it so mm. there's a reason why they're doing they they have employees that solely build build relationships with corporate companies yeah. and and leisure companies and, and travel agents we should be doing it too or just on a smaller scale absolutely and i'm a big big advocate for that i always say if you've got a guest in your property doesn't matter who they are where they've come from if you make the effort and again, it's all geographically dependent, right? Where the property is, where you're based, etc. But if you can find the time to go there, simply get five minutes of FaceTime, introduce yourself, ask a few questions, build that relationship. If there is a problem within that property, a leaky tap, whatever, there is a much better chance that they're just going to contact you, deal with the problem, and you're still going to save the review at the back end because you've got that relationship. If you're just someone who's you know behind a platform that there's zero personal connection with there's more chance they're going to be like oh you know this didn't work that didn't work there was a hair on my pillow da, 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 da. but if you make the effort they might pick up the phone and go you know what alex place was great however there was this and that no problem i'll come and sort it out straight away you've saved yourself that that bad review right so it's absolutely massive it's always how you resolve it i always say it's the resolution is what matters the most because some people are really yes, hard work. Don't get wrong. Yeah, they don't want the relationship. They don't want the relationship or they just are one of those people. But a lot of people, once you, it, it depends how you deal with the situation. Because if you've dealt with it well, they're like, you know what, fair enough. Things go wrong in every business and they've dealt with it the best they can. Um, and they're fine about it. And it's, it's how you deal with these situations and mm. turning something negative, like you said, positive. Um, a lot of people really appreciate that. Yeah. I've been in so many situations. Um, I remember we were in an awful situation. We had um, a gas leak and it was a it was a six hundred bedroom hotel. Wow. So it was an evacuation of like twelve hundred people minimum because not all mm. rooms had two people. Um and it was carnage. I'm talking hours these people were evacuated for, and I was part of the team to assist. Um 
And there were so many complaints, but not of naturally there were loads of complaints, but so many people thanked us as we as they went back to the hotel to say, do you know what? Like it was an awful situation and you dealt with it as best yeah. as you could. Right. Because um, I wouldn't be You happy. tried to do your best. Exactly. In a situation where yeah. even I wanted to cry. So. And I think most people, decent human beings, appreciate that. They can see the efforts that you're going to. Even if the outcome isn't ideal, they can see the effort that you've gone to and they'll appreciate that. Yeah. You know? So, so what, what, so, so daily, what is it um, exactly? Do people contact you and you kind of come in and work as almost like a consultant? Is that kind of what you do? Yeah, so it's a slightly different one because of the nature of the business. So people will come to me with some issues, um, the business owners, I'll kind of understand from them what their issues are because they'll know roughly what it is. But obviously if they can't fix it, they don't know probably the extent of it. Mm. So what I'll do, I'll then offer them my kind of secret shopper package. So I'll go into the restaurant, hotel, service accommodation, I'll go as a guest, so the whole booking process, cool. uh, contact them, see how responsive they are, if, if I've got any needs, all those sort of things. So a little bit like a secret shopper. Yeah. But they, but they know about it. Well. But you're critiquing. Yeah, exactly. The... So the only people that would probably know more about it is the is an SA provider, a service accommodation provider, because they're not the ones that usually have like a big team under them. Um, but if it's a hotel or restaurant, if it's, it's only the owner who knows who I am, the team won't know okay. which is the best way but with self-accommodation you can still do it perfectly fine but obviously the person you're dealing with will know who you are and what you're doing right, going right. there for um so i'll go there see what the issues are kind of observe everything like look at the uh, maintenance cleanliness um customer service how well they are dealing with any issues if they do arise uh, fake issues that arise because you need to know how they would respond sure. in these real situations um and then from that create a hospitality and um, business plan um which they can either conduct with their own team or I can help them with that. So it can be like a weekly call, monthly call, or I can actually go in and deliver that training myself. Wow. What a great concept. Thank you. I really like that. It is something I'm so passionate about. And I think that with the rise of service accommodation and the competitiveness of the market, hospitality market mm. as a whole, you've got restaurants popping up each week. Hotel, if you go into, you're from near London. I mean, mm. if you go into London, there's literally a new hotel. You can walk down one road and there'll be about five hotels. Absolutely. So the competitiveness, you need to stand out. And one way to stand out is customer focus, which, I mean, I'd rather go to a hotel that was probably a four out of five, but a six out of five out of customer service. Mm, that's really, really cool. Well, I might have to give you a call and get oh, you into all portfolio. <laughs> Guys, get in touch with Daniela. That is an awesome, awesome concept. And like you said, if you can get your customer experience level up here, I don't see how you can't exceed in this space because that is what's letting most people down, I think. You know, yeah, you'll get bookings, but you know, if you're not if you're not providing all of the bits in between from arrival to departure, that's how you grow, right? Yeah. Reviews, that's how you scale, that's how you keep landlords happy, that's how you keep agents happy, that's the whole thing. And the more time you spend with issues, the less time you have to grow a business. Yeah. Because even if you have a team, if there's a lot of issues, you're naturally dragged into it anyway. Yeah. So once things are ironed out, the team are trained, everything's a lot more smooth, mm. it will give you that release to be able to grow the business is what everyone wants to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of operators, they don't necessarily have that preparedness to deal with the problems because you can go 
a year, two years, God, you might even be able to go three years and not really have any any issues, like major issues. You know, no maintenance issues, you get a good run of guests, you don't have any real, real problems. So you start to get like a little relaxed and yeah. you just think every, you know, and then when something does happen, when there's a problem with a booking, when there's a complaint, when there's this, where there's that, it's like, God, you know, I don't know how to deal with this because they're not prepared. When you're on holiday and you get that call, it's always when you're on holiday as well. Yeah. Like, how do you not the be in the UK? <laughs> yeah, I was out this Christmas Eve dealing with issues. It's, oh. a, it's a part of the business, but okay, cool. Well, look, let's let's kind of um, get to wrapping things up here. I think we've got a pretty good idea about where you've come from, where you've been, where you are now. It sounds absolutely incredible. You're really an inspirational person. I love what you're doing. I love this business that you're building, bringing so much value to this to this to this um, this sector. And I think there's a lot of people that could benefit massively from from working with you and bringing you in. I love the concept. I'd like to close up by asking you one question, if you don't mind getting a little bit personal. Anytime. Okay. We are quite passionate about mental health, you know, general kind of happiness. There's a lot of fake stuff in this world, social media, stuff like that. It's very powerful, but it can also affect a lot of people. This feeling of comparing yourself, you're not doing enough, you're not big enough, you're not successful enough. So, and I think that can affect a lot of people. And I'd just like to ask you just a simple question and be as honest as you can. I think being vulnerable and being open and honest is massive. And I think it makes people warm to you. That's what I'm a big advocate for. Be honest, be vulnerable, be, 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 be real about where you are in life, in business, and that will help you grow. So Daniela, in this world, in this life, today, this second, are you happy? Three words. Right now, yes. I would say last year, oh, sorry, Alice, nothing's a simple question with me. <laughs> last year was a roller coaster. It was so, a year of growth, change. I left my, I only left my job last year. I sold my business last year, started a new business, invested a lot of money in the business. It was incredible learning. This year is about excelling, but mental health is real. Mm. I never suffered from it and, and not suffered from it. I never was exposed to it until... I started my own business and you can see that if you don't look after yourself, um, because naturally you can be working seven days a week, 5.30 a.m. Sometimes you wake up because you're like, I want to get ahead of the day and then you don't finish till late in the evening. 5 a.m. club. <laughs> yeah. Well, I occasionally do and I'm so proud of myself when I do, but you have to look after yourself. I, um, When I was still part-time um, working and doing the service accommodation business, I started suffering from anxiety, which mm. I'd never had before in my life. And so common. It's so until you have you're exposed to it in that way, and it sounds it's going to sound awful, Alex. But you kind of don't believe it because mm -hmm. that word gets thrown around so That's much. That's just you being weak. Come on, toughen yeah, up. Well, <laughs> so I think sometimes it is thrown a bit around a bit too mm. much because when someone really is suffering from it, you don't actually understand because until I kind of went through it, I was like, it's real, like to the point where. I would dread going into London, feel, feeling sick. Mm. I felt sick, the thought of having to go into London. Um, not because I hated my job, I loved my colleagues, it was my job, but it was just, it was so much. You know, yeah. uh, Airbnb, uh, service accommodation is 24 seven. Yeah. So adding a job onto that and being, I want to be 100% when I'm in my job because I'm, that's not fair on my employer. So if there was an issue, I would 
my anxiety would go through the roof, I'd feel sick, I couldn't eat. Um, it took me, even when I left my job, a long time to be able to go back into London, mm. just to travel, just to go as a, as a day out with my friends. Yeah. Um, I am in a really good mental place at the moment. Um, I, I've worked really hard on myself, I've worked really hard on my confidence, um, and I'm really happy and proud of where I am and kind of what 2013 has taught me to bring me here. Um, but looking after yourself is is huge and mm. I'm such an advocate for that. Um, I really pushed myself too hard um, when I got, when my anxiety was at its worst. Um, and part of me leaving my job was to get myself, obviously the service accommodation business was doing really well as well. So it was one of those things I was planning on on leaving when I got to that point, but um, I needed to look after myself a bit too. That's awesome. Really appreciate your honesty on that because I, I, I find it doesn't matter who I ask, when you ask that question, if the person's open to being honest, no one ever sits there and goes, you know what, it's like, I'm just like perfect. Everyone's got their problems or they've had problems or they're working through something. So, yeah, I think just, you know, just do your best and don't, don't push yourself too much. You know, remember to take a bit of downtime and appreciate where you've got to, right? So to close up in a couple of sentences, as a successful entrepreneur, as an ex a successful woman entrepreneur as well, which is even more impressive, in a couple of sentences, what would advice would you give to people who are watching and listening this to this to get started and to start their own journey of trying to create a bit more of a life on their terms? What's some of the key points in a couple of sentences? Where would you go? I think I'm just gonna say it. Just stop caring. Just honestly, who cares about anyone, anything, what you put on social media. I was so conscious of what I was putting online before, um, what people thought about me. I'm from a, I know it's very, mm. you asked three words, yeah. but I come from a community where it's really like, you be careful what you say, you don't want to say the wrong thing, you don't want to embarrass yourself or your family. It's all about family pride, tradition. But I've stopped caring about everything because with all due respect, no one's going to care if I go into liquidation. 100%. So why should I care now? It's so true. Um, so yeah, just stop caring. Start now, get perfect later. Um, I can barely spell um, and I've had several businesses. So like, just go for it. And I know that's not probably the advice maybe a lot of people want or they want something, some other advice, but that's what I would give because yeah. as soon as I stopped caring is when I was going, like, going for it. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Stop being scared. Push, go, yeah. start, go for it. It's all, it's all out there, right? And just cut out the people that maybe aren't good for you in in, a, in your personal life. Mm. Um, and that is really harsh. Um, I'm very black and white, so it was a bit easier for me than maybe some other people. But there are a lot of people in a lot of people's lives who are actually not good for them. Um, and as soon as I cut them out as well, I could see the difference. It's the old crabs in the bucket syndrome, isn't it? Pulling you back down and... It's a really more it's a jealousy, really, not because my mm. friends or like my acquaintances were not doing as well as me, but sometimes they're doing far better than you, but and they're happy until you they see you doing better for yeah. yourself. So you have to kind of recognise these traits as well. Awesome, so much juicy stuff in there. Thank you Thank so you. much for telling us your story. That was absolutely awesome, guys. Get in touch with Daniela. We're going to put all of her details in the show notes. 
She could help turn around your serviced accommodation business or any hospitality business in that case and help you grow, get better, get stronger, get more professional in that area, which is so, so important. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and watching and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks.